0: Uh, one more message in this series out of chapter 13. I don't know how many we've had out of chapter 13, probably six or seven, I would imagine. Uh, five or six, I guess, would be more likely. Uh, Romans chapter 13, we're looking at the last four verses this morning. And I hope you will already be in prayer throughout. Uh, be in prayer for me, be in prayer for yourself. Ask the Lord just to speak to us. A little bit different message than last week, but playing off of last week's message. Are we ready? You guys ready? This is the Word of God we're getting ready to read. So I don't know what your stance is toward the Word of God. I hope you have, again, as I said earlier, an open stance that when the Lord says something and it's very clear that that's what He's saying, that your desire would be to line up with the Scriptures, this message is Continuing last week's message on love, and here's our clue. Before we read the text, we'll go ahead. We can, by the way, look at the screen. This is really important this morning. See the background there? That's Catch that all through the sermon. You'll see that in the text, that idea. Uh, this is not my doing. I think Brandon found that, and Renee uploaded it all for us, and of course Joyce has it cast up there. That's the idea, that little scene as the sun is peeking over the trees, But can we go ahead and put the text up? I'm not going to read it all yet. I want you to see the first two words. Okay, see the first two words? Besides this. So besides this. You say, what in the world does that mean? This is a continuation of last week's message. If you were here, here was the message. We have this everlasting debt to love people. Why? Three reasons were in last week's text. Number one, you owe debt. You owe love as a debt to the person sitting beside you. So let that sink in. Christian, if you are a Christian, you should be thinking, I owe it to the person beside me. You may be thinking, they've done nothing for me. How can I owe someone who's done nothing for me? Because God loved you when you surely had done nothing for Him, and you cannot pay Him back. And so the point of last week's message was you must pay it forward. You are in debt To people to pass on the love that God gave you for no good reason has he loved you other than he's a loving God. Deuteronomy points that out. Second reason Paul gave us was it is commanded. You are commanded to have loving actions and loving feelings and emotions. As we looked at, we borrowed from John Piper last week. You say, well Jeff, I can kind of try to do the loving actions. But if I don't have the loving emotions, surely Jesus doesn't command that. Yes, he does. And if you say, my heart is too wicked and too selfish to have emotional feelings of love, I can do the actions, but I can't just turn on an emotional switch. Here's what we do. God, I'm going to have to have you give me a new kind of heart because this one's very selfish. We're commanded to love. And then the third thing is this. Love fulfills the law. Love really does fulfill the law. In fact, I'll say it this way. If you love someone, you've already fulfilled the law. When you love someone, you have already fulfilled the law. As we said, we wouldn't need the laws of God if all we had was love in its place. We may need to be informed, but we wouldn't need laws because we wouldn't murder and steal and envy and lie against people and commit adultery against people. So you catch that? Three reasons. You owe a debt of love. You are commanded to love. Love fulfills the law that leads to the godly life. Now besides this, is today's text. You ready? In addition to those three reasons, we're going to look at one more reason you should live loving, godly lives. And it has to do with because you know the time. You got those three reasons. And besides those, beside this, verse 11, read with me. Beside this, you know the time. Do you know the time? That the hour has come for you, he's talking to Christians. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Not literally. He's talking spiritually. Have you been sleepwalking in your Christian life? You need to live a loving, godly life for those three reasons in last week's message, but also because of the time, because you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. What else do you have to say to us, Paul? He says, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed and we would say it's nearer to us now in 2018 than it was to Paul 1,962 years ago it's nearer than when we believed the night is far gone the day is at hand, again you see the screen the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then couple of responses. Let us cast off. Let us cast off the works of darkness. Don't embrace the works of darkness. And then he says and put on the armor of light. Let us Christians walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but this quarreling and jealousy is just pride run amok, so much so that in the meeting and in the discussion, this person assumes that their decision that they've already reached has to win the day. I don't care what anyone else says. I will win this and they just quarrel and bicker and fight and stir up. And everything they see, all the blessings should be theirs. Pride run rampant. So don't do that. Walk properly. How? Verse 14. Put on. Well, this is hard for us. to. What does this even mean? We'll take a shot at a very simple version of what this means at the end of the message. Don't do those things, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh, the sinful part of our old nature that is dying for a Christian. Make no provision for this. Choke it out. Starve it out to gratify its desires. Make no provision to gratify its desires. There's a lot of ways that we could approach this text. Some would approach it this way. It's wake up, dress up, walk properly. And that would be a very good, you guys know I like three-point sermons. I don't look for three points, but today's is, right? That's not the the message. I hope we get across those same ideas in this. Here's the message. I think if you all by yourself got in a quiet room for 30 minutes and read these four verses over and over and over, say 15 times, and you just said, what do you feel like are the main ideas in the text, I want to offer you the three that I think stand out to me. Number one, would you write it down? you can't miss this it's kind of a negative tone to start with and this will be the second longest point of the message the second one in the message is shorter and the last one is long like the first one here's the first thought this world is dark and sinful can't miss it, it's in the text this world is sinful and dark Verse number 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. What's Paul saying? Paul sees this age that you and I live in as the ending of one long night. Watch. What began as the dawn of Humankind, the the dawn of history that God created, and there's going to be this thing called history. It started well in the garden. There was no sin. Everything was off to a good start, but then Adam's sin plunged us into the night. We've been living in the night ever since. It is one long night, but Paul says the coming of Jesus Christ back to earth will literally kick off a visible kingdom. You say, isn't God already sovereignly in charge and he's the king over all things? Yes, his kingdom is in place, but we don't see it visibly. There's going to be a real event, Paul says, he's in the text, Christ is going to come back, set up the kingdom visibly on the earth, and that's the day. Everything now, all that's been happening has been building to the climax of the day. You could almost say the capital D day all been but for now we're in a dark dark night the wickedness is real you guys know this you live in this world we live in an evil world evil is real wickedness will be banished there's going to come a time there will be no more wickedness but it is not yet there now here's where I want to be careful I want to be very careful I'm going to say some things about the day and age we live the reason I want to be careful is I know I like sports and I like a good singer. I like to hear a talented singer. And in those two arenas alone, I hear these words some, sometimes thrown around. Uh, you ever hear this? Typically in the sports arena, talking about a person or a team or, again, a singer, or a good singer. You'll hear these words, best. You ever hear that? They're the best. Best ever. They're the greatest. And then we got this tag we put on. It's very modern. Greatest of all time. Talking about a, a player or a team. And they may be, but honestly, it just doesn't carry as much weight when it's a 15-year-old that's saying it. You know what I'm saying? No offense. No offense, young people. But you got a 15-year-old who took up a sport about 18 months ago, and they've concluded, they're the best ever. Okay. Or here's a person who loves entertainment. They're the greatest singer of all time. Okay, how many singers have you heard? I've probably heard a 1,000. Oh, you've only heard a 1,000. No, I said I've heard a 1,000 singers. Right. But how can you say they're the greatest of all time if you've only heard, a, you know, Have you heard any recordings from the 1500s? Uh, No. Have you heard any recordings from like David's time? No, but this person has to because they're in my time. They're the greatest. Uh, There's a guy that's out of Jamaica. They say is the fastest man who ever lived. I would tell you he's the fastest recorded man who's ever lived. A little arrogant on our part to assume that during our day the fastest man of all time lives. You say, Jeff, what does this have to do with anything? I have a question. I want you to ponder for just a moment. Christian in the world that you live in, is it the most wicked of all time? Think of what goes on. Think of what's happening right now. Think of more and more as we hear this. Is this the most wicked time of all? I would answer, maybe. But I couldn't say definitively because we don't have a full historical perspective. We just don't have the full picture I would propose to you that when the book of Romans was written in A.D. 56, Rome was extremely wicked. In fact, I would, not, I would say Rome at this time was more wicked. You say, Jeff, there's some awful things going on in the United States. I know. And when you kick in things that are happening around the world, it's much, much worse. We think of how bad things are, and we're thinking about protests and marches and things like that. Believe me, this is nothing compared to what was going on in Rome. Read the history books. You have four things in your note. These are true. The Roman Empire was absolutely, this is what Paul was writing to. This was the day and age he lived. He was part of it. He was literally writing to the capital city, those Christians there. The Roman Empire was rampant with sexual perversion. Just rampant with it. All you have to do is look at verse 13. He wasn't making up things like, hey, in case this ever happens. He's saying, no, this is happening. It was rampant with political corruption. Please listen. We're not talking about backroom deals of how to defeat and get enough votes. And kind of squander people. If you'll do this, then we'll throw some extra money in for your bridges back home. And your constituents will keep voting you into Washington. Okay, I'll vote that way then. We're not talking about backroom deals. Guys, I'm talking about backroom deals where no cameras are rolling. And there's no recording devices. And people are hired to just go kill and assassinate your opponents. Now, that's a little different level of corruption. That's what's going on in Rome. Don't let this word. I don't have time to spend on it. But don't let this word just fall lightly on you. Slavery. Slavery. You you can buy a hammer or a, a hoe or a rake type instrument. You can buy a human being. You have all the rights to them. You buy a horse or a donkey. Again, that human being and any family that they may ever have becomes your piece of property. They're just a piece of property acting as if they have no soul. This was just prevalent. There were many, just hundreds of thousands of slaves in the Roman Empire. And then we have... Cruel violence. And I know how you read that. If I was sitting where you were, I'd probably say, Jeff, cruel violence. Isn't that a little bit redundant? Cruel violence. Just violence. Guys, this is a different level. The violence we're talking about is not a couple of people, you know, a couple of kids getting off the bus and saying, Oh, yeah, well, you meet me over at the mailboxes when the bus leaves and then everybody, you know, we agree. or, Or after school... This isn't a couple of guys agreeing to get in a cage with a referee and some like six ounce gloves and thousands of people flocking to let's just watch them just, you know, hit each other and kick each other until finally it's obvious the referee needs to stop. That's our day. Do you know that what they did in their, their day? Thousands of people would gather to feast their eyes on entertainment of people that had no choice but to be there. They will fight to the death against each other, other human beings, against animals. Those animals had no desire to be there. They're going to be just turn them loose. Okay, those are dead. Bring out some more. This is a wicked, wicked time. Do we live in the most wicked time of all? I don't know. Unwanted babies, literally, were just murdered. If mom and dad, especially dad, who has the ownership of the family, dad doesn't want the new child, he would kill it, or probably worse, no doubt worse, just abandon it out on the street, and it'll be dead in a few days, but it has to go through a suffering time before it dies. This is the day that we're looking at when we're looking at the book of Romans. We hear about horrors around the world. Dictators, North Korea things, we hear things saying... Christians losing their lives for their faith at the hands of Muslims and Hindus and all different parts around the world. And it's really bad. But what I want to tell you is Nero was just as bad, if not worse. Just 75 years ago, Hitler killed 6 million people just because they were of a certain race. Stalin, we don't know how many he killed. At least 2.9 million, maybe up to 90. That's a huge gap, I know. At least 2.9, up to 90. Pretty safe to say between 20 and 60 million. Chairman Mao in China killed 60 million of his own people just a few decades ago. This is kind of our time, but that's a little bit before my time Is this right now the most wicked time of all? Maybe, but I don't know. We live in a dark, sinful world, and I know you came to be kind of encouraged today. Like, man, this is a depressing sermon. I don't want to think about these things. I want to offer to you two dynamics, and then we're going to look at verse 13 and just some of these word descriptions very quickly. Watch. Here, I believe two dynamics are running parallel. Here's dynamic number one. You ready? The night is far gone. Man fell into sin, and the night has just gone and gone and gone. You say, Jeff, what is that dynamic? What do you mean? Watch. Satan is not eternal, Satan is not infinite, he's not omnipotent, he's not omniscient. He is one being who has hordes of demons under his control. They follow his bidding, but here's what's happened. He's literally had, this is a bad day, he's had thousands of years to perfect his tactics on on foiling the minds of men. Thousands of years to get better and better and better. He's learned what works and what doesn't. And here's the unfortunate part, mankind has been willing participants. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 12 and 13. 2 Timothy chapter 3, let me find it right quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Paul is in prison when he writes to Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, the man in prison writes, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm not the only one, Paul is saying. Why is that? While evil people and imposters watch this verse it's very important while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived you see it evil so satan's had time to perfect his tactics mankind's been passing on his sinful habits and inventions and imaginations and the next generation just picks up and like hey we think we can do worse yes and so they go bad to worse to worse by the way that is the opposite of the christian life here's the christian life Bad to Christ's likeness. And we'll talk about that process in a few minutes. The unsaved person, bad to worse. That's dynamic number one. If that's all that were happening, without the second dynamic, I would say definitely we live in the most wicked time because it's only going to get worse and worse. Satan's getting better at what he does. Here's the second dynamic. 2,000 years ago, something amazing happened. God, in fulfillment of prophecy... Poured out the Holy Spirit on people who believed in Jesus. The church was formed. Churches are not buildings. The church is all believers. All believers had the Holy Spirit in them. As a result, we live in among people. We permeate. Even when the laws are against us, we share our faith. And new people become Christians. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. We serve as salt and light, literally holding back corruption, holding evil and wickedness at bay. Again, as light on the job site and in the plant and in the classroom and on the campus and in the neighborhood and in the family and serving as salt the more salt you have on the meat the better chance you have to stave off corruption that's what Christians have been doing so if that was not in place we are definitely in the worst time but Christians have been restraining evil now would you look at verse 13 we live in a dark and sinful day Paul says let us walk properly as in the daytime everybody listen up if you're playing on your phone put it away And listen, let's see what's going on in our day, what we're being called not to do. Because this is rampant in the United States. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, if you want to write it down. What Paul is discussing here are three very powerful areas... Sexual sin, sexual slavery. He's talking about substance abuse. And he's talking about destructive emotional vices. So emotions... That are hurtful again. Pride, just reaching out, lashing out, quarreling, jealousies, fighting, strife. Then you have substance abuse, which is very clear in the text, and you have several references to sexual, sexual slavery and sexual sins. These are especially difficult stronghold areas. All sin is powerful. But the three that Paul seems to pull out as representative of the dark, evil day that we live in are extremely powerful strongholds. Look again in verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. What he's describing are people who who have literally lost all self-control. They have no temperance. There is no control. That word there for, for orgies, the idea behind it are, is reveling brawlers who are noisily going through the streets from an orgy to another one, just fighting and brawling, big, loud, no, don't care who sees. This is not hiding in secret. You say, Jeff, does this really happen? And if you don't know what that is, I mean, I'll give the simple answer to you. It's just multiple people sharing multiple sexual partners with each other. So, watch. It could be at one time, at one place, or the same exact effect could be over 12 months or 18 months, just swapping partners all around over 12, 18 months. You see this all around us. That is exactly what's taking place. This is what Paul is saying that we as Christians are to be called away from because that's the world that we live in. It is dark and sinful. Look again at verse 13. See the word for drunkenness? The word behind that. Here's what MacArthur says. That word for drunkenness, quote, watch, most often was used of intentional and habitual intoxication. Let that sink in. The word for the drunkenness here most often is habitual and intentional intoxication. This is not... Get into some of this, I guess, when we get to chapter 14, starting pretty soon. This is not the glass of wine, though I've never had one. This is not the glass of beer, right? A can of beer, a glass of wine. This is not that at all. What this is talking about is I'm launching out into this with the goal of getting intoxicated and drunk. And this isn't, oh, yeah, there was that one time. This is habitual. And Paul is saying we are not to be doing that. That's the day and age that we live. Do not live that way. Yeah, but everybody's doing it. God's people should not. Sexual immorality there in verse number 13. What does that mean? It's the idea of not just fornication, pornea. It's a little bit different word. It means sexual promiscuity. It's speaking of this. Watch. The forbidden bed. That's it. The bed. That's forbidden to you. But I want, I desire the forbidden bed. Sexual immorality, sexual promiscuity. William Barclay writes the following. He says this word for sexual immorality, watch, it's a word that brings to mind the man who sets no value on fidelity. And who takes his pleasure when and where he will. This is not the person that has an affair with a person. This is a person when, where he will. Are you seriously? You slept with that person? Yeah. But didn't you sleep with that? Yeah. And why did they agree? Because I told them I loved them. But didn't you tell that person? Yeah, I told her I love her too. But that was last week. Oh, and the week before that, that poor girl there actually thought, this person lays no value on fidelity. They'll just say what they need to say. And all kind of multiple partners. Very lighthearted. It's funny. It's a game. And it's tied to sensuality. Unfortunately, it's in our churches in 21st century America. The word sensuality, Barclay writes of this word. It says it's a very ugly word. Quote: It describes the man who is lost to shame. This is how far it is. Most people seek to conceal their evil deeds and try to sin in secret. But the man in whose heart there is sensuality is long past that. He does not care who sees him. He does not care how much of a public exhibition he makes of himself. He does not care what people think about him. Literally. That's what. That's what, you, you ever been there? You ever seen it? Six Flags, Carowinds. You, you been there? You ever been like, like standing in line? Like, what are y'all doing? What, what are you doing? Like, and you know good and well they don't act like that all the time at mom and dad's house, but you got to get in public and start like. We got kids, really? Why don't y'all get out of here? Y'all know what I'm saying? Because y'all are looking at me like I don't know any idea what you're talking about. This is this these people. It's like. In public, oh, this is a great time. we got an audience. And it's like this pushes the envelope a little bit further because the others is just getting kind of boring. It's because sexual sin is especially powerful. Sexual sin makes slaves out of people. It begins with what you want to do. I want to. That's the enticement. Yes, that looks good. But eventually, you can't stop because your conscience is seared. And you're drugged deeper and deeper. And that no longer satisfies. You have to now do this and this and this. And it's a downward, downward spiral. So, before we leave this point, we have to answer this question. All right, Jeff, hold on. Hang on. We live in a very sexually oriented society. Does the Bible give us any guidelines? Does it encapsulate? Yeah, there's a lot, but can we just look at a quick verse that maybe gives it in the simplest form? Would you look at Hebrews chapter 13? Hebrews chapter 13, I want you to pay close attention to it. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. So Jeff, what are the guidelines? Let the marriage bed be undefiled. What would defile the marriage bed? Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral. That's those who aren't even married, just a couple of unmarried people having sexual actions. And He will judge, the Bible says, the adulterous. That's where both or one of the married partners step outside of The marriage covenant. Look at the verse again. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. We have honor at the beginning of the verse. Watch this. Honor at the beginning of the verse. Judgment at the end of the verse. Same activity. You're like, well, it must be something to do with the activity. No, the activity is the exact same. One is honorable. The other is going to get judged. What's the difference? It's one word. What is that word? Marriage. Marriage. I wonder what God's guidelines are Marriage You're not married You don't get to righteously and in a godly way Express the gift of sexuality If you are married Then within that marriage Have fun There's the rules Now you shouldn't really say that That's a gift from God When you get married Otherwise you're sinning Back to Romans Romans 13 Obviously, the first point that I saw, man, we live in a dark, sinful day. But this is one of the main points also, is Christ. Number two, Christ is returning soon. Christ is returning soon. Every word there is a point. Christ is returning soon. Look at verse 11. Beside this, here's another reason you should live loving, godly lives. Besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake, for, wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. The day. Do you know the time? You're like, yeah, Jeff, it's, uh, it's like 1127. Sunday morning. July 1st, 2018. That's the time. That's not what this is talking about. He's talking about, don't Christians, do you know the time? Do you know the epoch? Do you know the age that you live in? Paul is saying, here's why we need to live this way. Because we live in a great Time. You live in a grace view. You are living in a great age. This is a wonderful age. You're right in a specific time. This is not an exhaustive list. I just threw some of these out this morning. Wrote them out. We had the age of innocence. Adam and Eve in the garden. Innocence. Probation, some call it. They sin. They plunge us into a different age from sin until the flood. Then we come after the flood. And you had the flood until the time. This is the post-flood. Flood until the time of Abraham. God makes a covenant with Abraham. That kind of enters us into a new age. If, if, if only in a certain part of the world still, still. Things are new. But for 500 years, from Abraham to Moses... There's still a time in the covenant with Israel, but it's before the law. But at 1500 BC, the law came. We actually have copies of it. God has revealed specifics, do's and don'ts. This is what pleases me and this is what displeases me. We've entered a new phase. And it goes from the law up until the time of Christ. Here's what Paul is saying. The day and age that you live in could not have come yet until Christ came to pay for our sins on the cross Which is enough to pay for our sins. And once that's done, we've now entered into a new age. Piper words it this way. Watch. He calls it, this is where you live. Paul says, you know the time. Piper says, you live in the overlap. So you have this long, 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 long day. Seems like a long time, but it's only thousands of years. And then you're going to have this kingdom. And then it's going to give way to eternity. Eternity. Do you know that you and I live right in the time period where those are like, yes, the long night and the dawn of the day, it's right there as you see on the screen. I mean, it's getting ready. You're living in this unique time. It is a great time to live. The night is far gone. It's all but gone. And the day is here, all but here, not fully here. That's where you live. It's at hand. Christ is coming soon. All the Bible has ever predicted, I would remind you, and you ought to make this a life study. I really want to find out what the Bible says. I'll propose to you everything the Bible's ever predicted that should have happened till now has all happened up till now. Everything. Watch. Messiah's coming. You have no name. Messiah's coming. He'll be a human. He'll be a Jew for the tribe of Judah, a descendant of Jesse, a descendant of, of David, He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Jesus came. The Holy Spirit's coming. The Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on the church and in the church. It's going to be unique. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be different. Do you know that those two things happened within 33 years of each other? Messiah came. The Holy Spirit came. Now Paul is writing 20 some years later, AD 56, and here's what he's saying. He's saying, He's coming. He he really thinks these three things. Boom, boom, boom. Messiah's coming. Holy Spirit's coming. That was Pentecost. Now we actually know the Messiah's name. His name is Jesus. Jesus is going to return. This is all going to happen. Pow, pow, pow. You're living in a great day, Romans. And you still still living that day, Graceview. It's going to happen. But here's the problem. The New Testament is very clear that the timing of the second coming of Jesus is going to be unexpected to most. The unexpected nature, the unexpected timing. Would you go with me, First Thessalonians? will not you see that. If you have a Bible, you might, might want to turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we'll make very minimal comment on these two passages. These are just a sample of what the New Testament. It is replete, a common theme of the unexpected nature. You say, Jeff, is this really going to happen? yes. Do you think people will be surprised by it? Absolutely. I know they will. The Bible says they will. Will everyone be surprised by it? Not everyone will be surprised by it. The Bible is clear on that. A few will see it coming. Chapter 5, verse 1, 1 Thessalonians. Look at verse 1. Paul's trying to encourage them because they were very discouraged about what our loved ones, what about them? They were in Christ. They put their faith in Christ, but they've died. What's going to happen to their bodies? And so he's trying to encourage them hey, it's different. Don't weep. We're still alive. But even those that have died, God has a great plan. They're going to get their body back. They don't have the body back yet. One day they will in the resurrection, chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and the season, when's this going to happen? Concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, watch this, will come, watch this, like a thief. And you think, oh, like a thief. It's, it's the nature he's describing as stealing things. No, the main thing he's implying here is the unexpected nature of it. Thieves are smart at doing evil. And so they come when they think you're not looking for it. And they catch you off guard. That's why they stole what you had. Because you weren't expecting them. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden, you see it, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a woman, a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, Paul tells the Thessalonians, you, Christians, grace view, you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith. I really believe. Faith and love. I'm gonna live a certain way, I'm really believing. And for the helmet, for a helmet, the hope, confident, expectation, salvation is real, Jesus is really coming. That's how we're supposed to live, verse nine. For God has not destined us for wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us so that whether we are awake. Like Paul was at that time. Or asleep. Like their loved ones the Thessalonians were worried about. What about our Christian brothers and sisters who died. He says whether we are awake or asleep we might live with him. therefore encourage one another. And build one another up. Just as you are doing. Keep doing that. Second. Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3 2 Peter chapter 3 verse number 8 the context here is a lot of people are making fun of the second coming <laughs> wait a minute hadn't you guys been saying that Jesus is coming for a long long time Peter answers not just Paul Peter do not overlook this one fact do not overlook this one fact beloved that with the Lord one day is as that's a thousand years and a thousand years, that's one day. That's an eternal being. That was a day. A day, a thousand years, it's all the same. I'm eternal. Don't measure me by days, years, millennia. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. I don't think He's really coming back. No, no, hang on. He's going to keep His promise. But it sure has taken a long time. Is it really? A thousand years like a day, but he is patient toward you. You at the start of chapter three is the same ones who Paul wrote, or Peter wrote to in the first letter. He says, "I'm writing you a second letter. I'm writing to the same group of people for the second letter. The first letter was written to the elect." So verse number nine. Read it again. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wi- not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So watch his conclusion. Since all these things, that's this pulpit, that's the pages of this Bible that I'm holding, that's my flesh and yours. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? How should you live? Point number three. Not only do we live in a dark, sinful day, Jesus is coming soon, but point number three Christians should live differently from the world. I think this is the point of his text. It's a bad time. Christ is coming. You need to live differently from the people in the world that are described in verse 13. In other words, watch. Wake up, Christians, get dressed. Get busy. This is a great day. Don't sleep. You said Jeff, is he talking about sleep literally? Is he talking about sleep spiritually? I think yes. Both. So what is sleep? One, one encyclopedia defines sleep as this. It's a state of inactivity with a loss of consciousness, a decrease in responsiveness to events. Catch it? Inactivity Unconscious to things, not aware of things, not responsive to what's going on. Christians do not sleep. Why? Write it down. In Scripture, sleep is sinful. You say, seriously? If I try to get my seven or my eight, or some of you require nine, that's sin. No, no. Sleep is sinful when the person who's sleeping should be doing something. I'll give you a couple of examples. you got the sluggard. I am not talking about the person who caught up on some sleep yesterday because they're so tired from their work week. not talking about them. I'm talking about the person who literally right now, it's now 11, almost 11.40, and you know what's going on? They're still asleep. And yesterday they were still asleep, and the day before they were asleep, and the day before that, they sleep all day. They do nothing except wait for the check to come in. They don't do anything for society. They are a sluggard. They just sleep. That's sin, Here you have a watchman. Here's a second one. Here's a watchman who's supposed to be on a wall watching for an enemy to attack. Here comes the enemy and they're getting ready to climb the wall and destroy the city. They should have sounded the, the alarm but they're asleep. Christian, there is work. Don't be a sluggard. There is work. This is important. There is work that can only be done for Christ in this life. There are people in the spiritual realm who can only be warned in this life. I have a bad feeling. I'm afraid for Jeff Bartlett that when he dies, he's going to see how wonderful heaven is and how beautiful Christ is. And he's going to, in a faint way, wish he could go back and tell some people how great heaven is. But you don't get to go back. Paul's saying, wake up, get dressed, now's your chance. Why? You see verse number 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Verse 11, here's the first reason. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. I'm gonna take a minute here. Why do we need to live differently? Because our salvation, our final salvation, is near. I don't know if anyone read it this way, and I'm gonna take a minute. I'm gonna give a a quick little outline. I'm not gonna bog down, and I know many of you, you already see these points, and you are filling in the blanks, and I'll go ahead and tell you you will be right. Those of you who've been in church a lot, this is not original outline. You'll get it and you could set and come up with every single blank once I start the first one. You'll be like, I know that and that and that. Great, take off, do it. But can we be patient and understand all of us need to be reminded of these truths and there's somebody here this morning who is a Christian. They don't yet understand the timetable. You say, and here's what they're thinking. Wait a minute. Salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Salvation is nearer. That means it's not here yet. I thought I was already saved. Is this work salvation? Is this saying I can lose my salvation? I've got to keep performing to really make my way to heaven. Is that what this is saying? No, no, no. Hang on. If you really trusted Christ, write it down. Salvation is a one-time, not a five-time, not a ten-time, not a two-time, a one-time event that has ongoing effects. I would say it has guaranteed ongoing effects on the authority of the New Testament. I have no problem saying that. Salvation, one time. You only do it once. Nowhere in the scripture does it say you must be born again and again and again. Oh, sin really bad. I need to get born again. I need to get saved again. That is wrong doctrine. It is not. It's called eternal life. That's a different message. That was chapter 8. So what does this mean? Three things about salvation. Three guaranteed outflows of salvation. The first one. We were saved. If you've trusted Christ, we were saved from sin's penalty in the past by justification. Every word there is important. If you're a Christian, you were saved. So, what does this mean? We're almost there, we're nearing salvation. You were saved in the past from sin's penalty. Help me out. The wage of sin is death. Death is the penalty. I may very well die physically. I don't know. It kind of depends. It's up to the Lord. I may be part of the second coming of Christ and be raptured out of here. But I will never be separated. I will never be at death away from Christ. Why? Because Jesus paid for my penalty of my sin On the cross, God the Father as the judge, Christ as the judge, says, I declare you righteous. You don't have any righteousness, but since you trust in my son, that will count as righteousness. I'll give you his righteousness. You are declared righteous. You can live in heaven. Done deal, nothing can ever change that. We were saved from sin's penalty. But second, this is part of salvation, guaranteed. We are being saved from sin's power in the present. By this thing called sanctification. It's this process where we go bad to Christ-like. And it takes all life long and we never make it. Until the next life when we are like Christ. So we are being saved from sin's power. We're getting victory year by year. Decade by decade. And then that obviously leads to the third. Not only were we saved and we are being saved. We will be saved in the future from sin's presence by glorification I know many of you knew that outline that's wonderful if you don't know that you need to go home and study it read your New Testament say is this really true is this what's happening I'm already saved but I'm being saved from the power of sin one day praise the Lord I'm going to live in a place there will be no sin the very presence of sin is gone because of what Jesus did on the cross quick question which one of these terms is Paul referring to in verse 11 for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed which one of those terms is he referring to Say it out loud. Glorification. Glorification. Our salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. Now listen. I've got to ask you a question. When did you first believe? Ask each other this question. Grace, if you hear each other's testimonies, when did you first believe? And not to be mean, but if somebody tells you, I- I've been a Christian all my life. No, you haven't. There's a time you believed. And I understand it may have happened so early in your youth you don't remember the details. But I want to tell you there's a difference. There's a time. There's a moment where five minutes before you were not a Christian, you were not on your way to heaven, five minutes later you are saved. What happened? Here it is. Watch. Check yourself. You have to be informed about Christ. You have to kind of know who He is, what He's done, and what's the significance and what's being offered. But that's merely being informed what Paul is talking about is a moment of time, a specific moment of time, watch, where you trusted that. Where you made a conscious choice. I will receive. Not this, oh I've always heard, my mom and daddy told me from the time I was little. I don't even remember when I first started hearing about Jesus. I was always believed, I'm asking this point, when did you start trusting Christ? More than informed, that is salvation. For me it was 1979, I've got to tell you. 1979, I get saved. 1982 is the first time I remember really hearing sermons about the second coming of Christ. I'll just, straight up, guys, I am shocked. If you'd have said that little 12-year-old boy, do you think you'll ever live to be 48 years old? I'd say, there's no way. There's no way. Everything's in line. Nothing else has to happen. Look at all this stuff that's happening. Listen to them. Look at the text. Look at them. Paul thought it was going to be then. Surely we will never, I will never see 2018. And here we are, 2018. That's 39 years ago for me. I became a Christian in 79. I started doing that preaching. I believed it. I'm shocked that we're here. My point is this. What if Christ's return all along has been planned for what we call 2018 or 2019? Then that means for Jeff, that's my story, I've already lived 39, 40 years of that saved life I'm almost there. What Paul is saying is let these last days, weeks, months, the last year, let it be the best with Christ. It's almost here. Well, I hate to be so simple. But y'all know that this moment, right now, is the latest it's ever been. But this moment is the new latest it's ever been. Well, not anymore. Not anymore. Because now is the latest. You are closer. Paul thought it's any moment now. If it was any moment in 56 AD, how much more so is it any moment 1,962 years later? It's so my question. Do you guys really believe in the imminent, actual, any moment now, return of Jesus Christ? And most of you say, yeah, I believe in that. I'm going to give you a test how you can tell. Here's how you can tell. Yeah, I, I really believe it could be any moment. I think a lot of Christians, we say that, but we do not live like that. And here's your test. If you really believe, watch. If you believe that Christ will guarantee, no, no, you know. God says, by the way, this won't happen. God says, my son's coming back on Sunday, July 1st, 2018. Eastern Standard, Eastern Daylight Time. I don't have no idea what we're on, but it's going to be 722 p.m. Okay. You would not live the same way you've been living all month. You say, what would be different? Write it down. Number one, there'd be much less sin in our lives. We wouldn't allow sin. 1 John chapter 3. I'm just going to fly through these verses. 1 John 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us—we sure don't look like we're the children of God. We look the same as everybody else. The reason why the world does not know us is that because it did not know Him, Christ, the Son of God, the one and only, unique Son of God, lived among mankind, couldn't tell Him apart. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Well, what if I really believe that, John? Here's what John says. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We would have so much less sin. Write it down. We would have more urgency in sharing our faith. I have no doubt about it. We would share our faith much more urgently than we do. And the third thing, we would surely be less concerned for material possessions. I'm going to give you a tip. If for the last month you've been overly concerned about material possessions, you're not concerned about sharing your faith and telling people about Christ, and you have a lot of unconfessed, built-up sin, it's because you really don't think Jesus is coming back. Romans 11, Romans thirteen, eleven. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Salvation is near to us. The night's far gone. The day is at hand. Would you think of time as this way? Time equals opportunity. Time equals opportunity. There's only so much time. There's only so much opportunity. Time is fleeting. Opportunity is fleeting. I came to a conclusion the other day, Jeff, and I would share it with you. If you're ever going to do something for God, do it now. If you're going to do something for God, do it now. Unsaved person in the building. If you have plans, one day I'm going to repent of my sins and I'm going to trust Jesus as my Savior... One day. Do it now. You say, I'm going to, I really, before I go to heaven, I want to get in on this by faith thing. I want to give to the Lord. If you're ever going to give, give now. If you're ever going to share your faith, there's this person I really, I think I need to talk to them about Christ. Share your faith now. Now is the time. Hebrews chapter 10. See it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 23, let us hold fast, hold fast the confession of our hope have confident expectation without wavering. Why would I not waver? For he who promised is faithful. Everything the Bible ever says is going to happen because everything it says that should have happened has already happened. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Watch verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. Don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. Some have stopped meeting with God's people. Don't neglect. In fact, he says, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When you see the day getting close. Christians really should live differently. Why? Because salvation is nearer than it was. Write this down quickly. Christians should live differently by casting off the darkness. Christians should live differently by casting off the darkness. on them. I want to return where I was in my introduction. I need you to think with me. Are we living in the most wicked, evil day of all time? I don't know. Maybe. I do believe, and I'm very confident, the church around the world has restrained evil to some extent. The more Christians concentrated, the more restraining of evil. I'm getting ready to sound extremely old-fashioned. And I'm okay with it. I'm 48, and I know that everybody, again, I don't know if it's this victim mentality or the woe is me mentality. It kind of goes back to that best, worst, greatest of all time. We like to take snapshots. You ever met someone, they are just really convinced that their life 60 years ago was the most difficult of all time? I know someone, it, it, honestly, to hear them tell it, it was either 100 degrees every day or it was like below zero every day. I'm like, did y'all have like no nice days? It was just, oh, oh, no, and we had no shoes. It was just awful, awful. And I agree, man, we got a lot of good things. I mean, we got microwaves and washing machines and stoves. and I I get that, but I feel like saying, you know that like 100 years before that, they had it bad. No, 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 this is the worst during my life. Okay, whatever. guess it's the worst. I say that because I want to be careful with what I say here again. In my little 48 years, the first 28, I'm sorry, first 28 so I didn't see a huge change I am greatly concerned about the last 20 years some of you I I know there's a lady in here in her 90's she's a Christian, been a Christian a long time I just wonder what her opinion, I see Brother Quincy back there I better not start that I'm not going to start pointing out all the elder ones that's going to be first in our line in a minute but I'm just curious if we were to interview you guys would you say oh yeah it it steadily gets that way but the last 20 years man it's been like fast track what has happened this is my opinion I'm greatly concerned because I see fewer people casting off the works of darkness and I see more and more people clicking on it not casting it off Clicking on it to investigate it. Clicking on it to embrace it. Just to be blunt with you, what 30 years ago, dirty old men had to go down to a store to buy a magazine is now readily available to an elementary school student on a phone. It will come with a price. That will come with a price, guys. We will pay a price. It's going to be a heavy, heavy price. Now I'm going to get really old-fashioned and... The kid's not going to like me. Parents, be careful about just giving a phone to your children. Be careful. Do you know what is on there? Do you know the potential? We live in a bad day. I feel like it is fast-tracking just in the last 20 years because of these things. You say, Jeff, but you don't understand. Everybody down to school has it. And, and, and if I don't, then they're going to be ostracized and not cool and... It's easy for you to stand and say, your kids are grown. How old were you when you got a phone? Seventeen. Erica got a phone, 17. You're like, there is no way 17-year-old young person in today's society doesn't have a phone, at least by the time they're nine. I would just ask you, why do they need a phone? Why do they need it? She got a phone because she started driving. Jonathan was about the same age. Be careful. It's dangerous. I'm going to sound outdated, but sexual sin, we're not casting it off. We're clicking on it and embracing it. Sexual sin is an addictive gateway that never satisfies and it atrophies the soul. It atrophies, shrinks the soul. It makes the conscience get seared and it opens up a gateway to worse sexual sins and all kinds of other sins. And where does it start? Just viewing, just clicking and where'd that come from? Oh my, that's, wow. And then that's no longer enough and next and next and it spirals downward. Be careful. What would the histories of our phones, our tablets, our computers, if we had someone to go through them? We brought them on said, here, bring it out. I'm afraid we might, may find no difference among our viewing than the unsaved person. Jesus said, if the salt loses its saltiness, wherewith shall it, the world, be salted? What chance does this world have if we're no different? Cast it off. And then third, put on Christ. Put on the armor of light. Light's a tremendous weapon. This, these lights right here are kind of hot, also, but they're very bright. Y'all are a little more in the darkness. You see me better than I see you. I do see you, though. Thank you for being there. Scripture teaches light as representing knowledge, awareness. Darkness is ignorance. Watch. Light reveals, darkness conceals. Don't let your mind go too far, but just hear me. There are scenes today that if someone just merely went into the place of sin, just merely went in and flipped the light on, there'd be people like, what are you doing? Like, start putting stuff in drawers and like, what in the world? And, Taking stuff off there. and go. Just flip the light on, literally, physically. Just flip the light on. Places of ill repute. Pfft, like, what are you? You don't look anything. You don't either. Like, oh my goodness. Like, what are you doing? Just turn the light on. Just turn the light on. And watch it scurry. Sin runs. Light reveals the deceptively ugliness of sin. It promises it's beautiful. I turn the light on. So, verse 14. Put on Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus. What does it mean? Write it down. I've got to go fast. I've got to close. To put on Christ implies living with an awareness that he's close. Put him on. I put on a t-shirt. I have this shirt. I have this jacket. Live with an awareness that Christ is extremely close. He's very near. He's in us. He's around us. He's above us. He's underneath us. He's behind us. What does this mean, this putting on Christ? Watch. It is taking Christ's thoughts, Christ's feelings Christ's actions, putting them on as ourselves so that they become our way of thinking our feeling, our actions. so much so that when people see us they're kind of like, I see Christ you're Christ and you're like driving away and you're not even meaning to but down at the plant and, and, and there in the classroom and out on the field you're just something about, hey straighten up, so and so's here, hey good to see you man, that's great what are you doing, just being there, you have so much Christ on you because you put him on to start the day the last thing I would point out is the end of verse 14. Make no provision for the flesh, you. Make no provision. Provision means forethought. Raise your hand very quickly. You say, when I pack for vacation, I pack really light. Would you raise your hand? You're like, I'm a light packer. Raise your, I, don't, I don't put my hand up there. Raise your hand. A few. Anybody? None of you are light packers. Be honest, raise your hand like uh, I overpack. That's hey, that's me. Good. Most of us overpack. You know what we do? we got to get forethought. Well, there just might be a chance. I might need that. Do you really? You've taken that every year. We know, I know, but just you never know. A, a, a snowstorm may come by in Myrtle Beach this summer. I might need that. And remember that one restaurant, Cracker Barrel, they always have it like a snowstorm in there, and so I'm going to need, okay, okay, whatever. This one's traveling light, this one's packing everything. Forethought, forethought, watch. We get in trouble when we start making forethought. And letting thoughts of sin linger in our minds, Paul is not saying, "Hey, he's not saying merely don't click on that." He's not saying, "Ladies, don't turn to, to that person because they're going to give you everything that this other person promised they would, and they're really going to give it." He's not saying, "Don't turn to them." He's not saying, "Don't turn to that substance as as the real solution to your problems, as the real escape." Here's what he's saying: Don't even think about clicking on it. Don't even think about that guy. Don't even think about that substance. Don't even let your mind go there. Because if you start thinking about it, you'll start planning for it. Listen, planning to sin? Oh, yeah. Friday night, my parents are going to be gone. You coming over? I got a lot. Man, it's going to be great. I'm planning. Planning to sin is sin. You will be in sin from now to. No, no, I'm not actually doing it till Friday. You are in sin right now. Could we have Acts 19? You see that passage? Look at Acts 19. There's a person in our midst this morning who needs to do what these Ephesians did. Some Ephesians in Ephesus became brand new Christians and watch what they did. A number of those who had practiced magic arts, this is not trickery, sleight of hand, this is sorcery. They have books. They have potions and, and sayings that would put them in touch with demonic forces. you like, you really think these things work? Apparently they did. They're very valuable. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. I don't have the time to go through the numbers, but very simple to say about $6 million worth of magic books. So they get saved. The Lord's laying on my, I got to get, get this out of my life. Yeah, you do. And can you imagine as they're stacking the book, can you imagine how much those are, about 50,000 pieces of silver, about $6 million. What could we do with $6 million at Graceview? Like, hey, if you got $6 million laying around, I, gotta think, I know what we could do with it. We have some big plans. Right? We need it. But notice what they don't... Well, let's sell them and we'll use the money for God. No, we don't want it tempting us. And why would we want it tempting someone else? Let's burn these things. Cut off the ability to access it. Somebody here today, very simple. The Lord saved you. And to break you from an old habit, all that really needs to happen is you've got to break a relationship. But there, my friend, and we've got a lot of history. Break the relationship in love. Say, you know what? You're not good for me. I'm going in a different direction if I can ever... If you want to ever hear about the Lord Jesus and what He's doing in my life, I'd love to share it with you, but we cannot have contact. Some of you need to say, you know what? I've got the data plan. I'm going to take a hit on the money, but I need to cancel my data plan. And I'm going to have to cut off the, the Internet there at the house. And some of you are thinking, like, take away my Netflix and my cable TV and my Internet. You have lost your mind. Six million dollars because it was the right thing to do. They knew we can't handle it. We need to get rid of it. And I sound like a, I sound like my granddad preaching today. I know it. I get it. Paul's point is not negative, Paul's point is positive. You say, Jeff, it was all these negative things about society. Here's his point Christian, get up, get dressed. Because our time is unique opportunity. 10,000 Chinese got saved today. 10,000 Chinese people came to Christ in China today. They're going to bed right now. We're starting our day. They got saved today and 10,000 more tomorrow. We live in a great... Who would have ever thought that was going to happen? 100 million Chinese are Christians today. God's working. God's moving. You're living in the overlap. You have an opportunity. Get up. Get dressed. Take that stuff off. Put Christ on and the light on. Lord, we've got work to do that can only be done in this life. We've got people to tell that can only be worn in this life. Now's our chance. Opportunity is slipping away. I finish with this question. If you knew tomorrow, Monday, July 2nd, was going to be the best day of your existence so far, picture it, guaranteed, God says tomorrow, Monday, Monday, best day ever for you. Really? Okay, I think I'll sleep till noon. You wouldn't do that. You're like, "Are you're guaranteeing tomorrow the best day of your life?" Well, I'm going to get up, I'm going to get I'm going to get cleaned up, I'm going to get showered, I'm going to get a good breakfast. <laughs> this is going to be great. I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be the best day. Paul is saying, "The day of Christ is here. It's the best. It's eternity. Everything's been leading to this, but you're living in the overlap. You have just a little time. What are you going to do with it? You're going to waste it?" Go sleep. Sleepwalk, you're going to serve Christ. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes, please, just for a